I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Behind Fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. Around the world, we have joined together to demand racial and social justice, and no industry is exempt. The hard work must continue in the fashion industry. Right now, it is important to mention that we must vote. Many are saying we have to go in person and I get it. But if you know that you can vote via mail and um, your polling station has turned people away at the 11th hour, uh, go for it. Just, just vote by, by mail. Um, take your time, go through it three times, fill everything out. And as jo John Oliver mentioned, I don't know if you watch him, but uh, some of these ballots are being turned away because of the signature not matching. So if you use a rock and roll signature at the supermarket, please don't use it on this. Take your time and make sure that everything is filled out. Now with a virus that discourages the interaction of people and the touching of clothing, what does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? I look forward to collaborating and sharing our ideas and journeys as we move forward in this new world. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Rodney Cutler. Rodney Cutler was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. He began his career at the age of 16 when he started a four-year apprenticeship at Rhythmic, one of Australia's leading hair salons. He excelled in this position and his competitive side began to show and he quickly moved into winning competitions. Later, Rodney began to guest lecture and do demonstrations as well as educational seminars. After much success in Australia, Rodney was ready to move out on his own. He traveled not just down the street, but he went across the pond. Is it still across the pond if it's from Australia? <laughs> to New York City, where he began working at Bumble and Bumble Salon. Here, true to his competitiveness, he rapidly rose to become one of their top stylists. Soon, Rodney, while growing the Bumble and Bumble soon to be renowned education department, was a major creative force behind much of the salon's media attention. Rodney Cutler co-developed a program that integrated innovative hair cutting concepts, training other staff members and coordinating the teachers for the assistant hair cutting program, opening the doors of Bumble to many future professional stylists. Never once looked back, Rodney continued forward with his own salon and op opened the Cutler Redken Salon in December 2001. Cutler's Salon became known for its creativity while still following Rodney's mantra of sexy, healthy hair. In February 2005, the Salon in Soho opened with a modern clean space where Rodney created a unique feature, the Redkin Lab. Here, the colorist and client have in-depth discussions about skin tone, color choices, fashion, and much more. Rodney has been featured in top national and regional publications, such as Allure, Lucky, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, New York Magazine, Self, Glamour, Women's Wear Daily, and Vogue, just to name a few. He has also been featured in television programs, such as CNN's Headline News, Good Day New York, Inside Edition, In Style, In Touch, Make Me a Supermodel, MTV's Made, the Party Planner with David Tutera, and The Today Show, among many more. Rodney travels the country giving lectures on the fusion of fashion and beauty through hair and styling for runway shows. 
He is an icon backstage and a Redken brand ambassador utilizing the Redken products. He has produced amazing looks for shows such as Betsy Johnson, Bosaden, Cho Cheng, Claudia Lee, DKNY, Nicole Miller, 3.1 Philip Lim, Tadashi Shoji. And here is a nice picture of Rodney with Tadashi backstage. Can you? Oh, good. You can see that. <laughs> he also did um, Taure Wong, Tori Birch, and so many more. He has clients such as Emma Watson with her famous haircut. And I'm going to have Rodney talk to us about this haircut when I bring him on um, and talk a little bit about that situation. And Gavin DeGraw and Fergie, who is um, Sarah Ferguson, also known as Fergie. And he's done her hair as well. Rodney Cutler founded the Cutler Education in early 2003. The backbone of Cutler Salon is the continued education component. Today, he has grown Cutler Salons to four locations and somehow in the midst of all of this, Rodney has developed his own line of products, trains for and participates in triathlons, Ironman events, when they're happening, and is raising his twin boys with his wife, Linda. Welcome Rodney Cutler and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Behind Fashion. Oh, Mary, thank you so much for the intro. And to your first question, yes, it's the pond. <laughs> You're welcome. I got to turn up my sound here. Oh, the whole thing was shaking. Listen, that picture of um, Emma Watson. Yep. Wow. This is an iconic hairstyle. Yeah, that was an exciting time. Was did great. she come to you with this, with this <clears throat> look or did you suggest it or... Well, it was the end of um, Harry Potter, the final, I think it was Deathly Hallows 2 had just finished. Um, I had never met Emma, but she'd been in our salon and I was fortunate to have the opportunity to cut her hair. And it was just perfect timing. It, it, she had the opportunity to reinvent herself. And we know with hair that it's one of the biggest changes. Look at you with your beautiful bangs, but it's one of the biggest changes you can do to yourself in the shortest period of time is a hair change. And uh, it was an amazing experience and I mean she can wear anything. I think the interesting thing about the haircuts, it's a pixie. We've seen it before, 60s. Uh, so it's not that the haircut was so like, oh my god, I've never seen it. It's just when you put it on somebody new, it, it, it transforms them and the way we perceive them, the way they perceive themselves. So I think it's a great lead into how important hair can be to somebody and how it makes people feel. So. It was a great experience. Yeah, and, and I do, I have one more picture, bear with me. Um, <laughs> but you um, also have your own products. And this photo I found, and I'm pretty sure, is that a Cutler bag? That's a Cutler bag, yeah. I'm not very good at marketing myself when I'm blocking the logo, right? But yeah, I think that was at the Grammy Suites. We, you know, we've always been adventurous in what, we've, what we do. We're, we're, I like to say we're a craft-driven brand. We focus on education. But we also want to get out there and do fun, exciting things. So this was at a Grammy suite. Yeah. That's our old creative director in the background, Dean Holcomb, who's a great hairdresser. And um, yeah, so we, it's cool. It's a part of the journey. And for our staff to experience, whether it's, you know, in the salon is one thing, but also experiencing things like that or backstage. That's what's great about our industry. You can do it anywhere, any price point um, with many different experiences. You know, it's great. Yeah, and for those listening on podcast, the first picture of Emma, she's in her pixie haircut. Is that what you call it, the pixie? 
Yeah, although it had grown out, we, it looks a little longer there. So uh, that yeah. wasn't the well, like, that was probably a few months after when we did the original. <laughs> but that is an iconic hairstyle. And then in this photo is Ladisi. And anybody who has not enjoyed her jazz, um, I suggest you look her up. And I put um, one of her latest uh, videos under, I have a playlist under everybody who comes on. So Rodney, you have a playlist. So under that is Ladisi's um, big song that she has. And uh, I think she's just fabulous to listen to. You know, I invited you on because I think you're incredibly gifted um, as a hair artist. And I'm not even going to say designer or stylist because design and style comes into your art. And I just want to show this photo for anybody who can't see it. I mean, uh, what? This is amazing. I love this. Now, this isn't her own hair. No, this is not. Uh, well, this was wefts of hair. And I went to a hardware store and I bought something that we would use in the garden. I can't remember what it was. So we had some structure to wrap the hair around. And the top was like those donut sponges that you will use for updos. And this wow. was for a hair show in Australia. And when we're doing that, it's more aspirational. It's really about entertainment, mm -hmm. education, and inspiring imagery. Obviously, you're not going to see that in the salon. But that's when, we're when we show the industry and showcase our work. It's about elevating the creativity. And that was a cool show in Australia. And then, then we did a photo shoot, and it was on a trade floor. And, you know, you're on sets all the time. We'll do sets where, you know, it's very organized and very professional, a lot of money spent, and you're not guaranteed to get pictures. This was amongst, you know, a 1000 people shopping for hair dryers and whatever. And we did this shoot in the corner, it worked out amazingly, luckily. So, so you and never Rodney, know, right? I never would have known that those are beautiful photos. I wish I had printed out the rest of them because I I never would have realized that's just in some corner with a photographer. I mean, it really was an amazing shoot. Um, but what I now I usually send a mug, a behind fashion yeah. mug to people coming on. Um, but I didn't I didn't want it to get in the way of mail-in ballots. Everyone vote, vote, vote. Um, and so I will hand deliver you a mug. Um, in December, I'm going to see you, but I do hope to see you in February for fashion. Shows, yes. Once we get the, uh, the shows back in action, hopefully, right? Fingers up, uh, Keep going. We, yeah, we'll talk about it more, but we did one. So cheers oh, to nice. you and oh, all God. of your successes. Ooh. Mm. What's in there? Water. Okay. My vodka. other one is coffee, and then I have another vitamin water. <laughs> Just checking, making sure it's not vodka, but it's a little early out there, right? So. Yeah, I'm more of a tequila person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little cleaner. But um, before we start talking all things fashion industry and fabulousness, there is a pandemic going on. So how are you and your family doing? No, I mean, it's been obviously tough, you know, um, but we're, my kids are great. They're, they're, in, they're seniors, so they're trying to, you know, navigate through... Um, schooling at home and then some part-time in school, they're soccer players. So they're trying to find a journey for that path in university. So they're focused and, you know, for, for myself and my wife's fine. And it was time we spent a lot of time together, you know, like uh, I, I, with the staff, when this first happened, I was like, all right, this is probably not going to last that long. And then you're like, oh my God. Then it was like, what's the worst case scenario? If we lose all of our business, as long as we're healthy, so I really spent a lot of energy with our staff, just being like, let's just make sure our mental health is fine. We're supporting one another. Let's not get too wrapped up in like reinventing ourselves straight away. And then our next goal was to reopen, which we were fortunate we were able to do that with support from the PPP um, loans and so forth. And now it's like doing it in a healthy way and, and now sustaining, you know, and, right. and staying open. And, and it's been... 
it's been a roller coaster. When our staff come in, you can see they're emotional their first day. We had somebody come back this week and they were like, I'm like, take a deep breath. It's okay to feel uncomfortable, get emotional. It'll get easier as the weeks go on. Um, you know, the, the, the easier part is that we're all going through it, right? So we've got yes. each other's backs, you know? Yeah, the levels are different, but it's the same. There, there's caution, there's fear, there's confusion. Uh, vote, vote, vote. Um, <laughs> I understand um, why you're such an artist, because going through your bio, you started at 16 doing hair and, and did a four-year internship? Yeah, it's a little different in Australia and England um, uh, over the pond, as you said. It's a big pond for us. Is it, I was to say, is it still the pond? <laughs> pond. England's a little pond, um, but uh, we, we did an apprenticeship in those days. So I, I fell into it. I, you know, I wasn't that focused at school. And uh, so I fell into hair. I went in there. I, I, I went and got a, wanted to get a cool haircut. I love the smell of the place. So when I first walked in, it was Rhythmic, which was one of the iconic Australian hair salons. And I just loved it, you know, and I did, I had no idea what it was going to lead to. I didn't know the path. I, I didn't have a grand plan because people would say, you got to have a plan. I'm like, true, maybe you can do it many ways. Success comes in many different journeys and paths. So I, I just kind of walked through one door and then sort of connected the dots as we went along. And I didn't even know if I was going to do it forever. But then I realized that this is my life journey. You know, I, I love it. And I actually, I feel more comfortable, you know, because in a creative world, you understand this, that, there's that insecurity, that anxiety. You never feel you're quite good enough. So you're always striving to get better, um, but also enjoy it as well. And it's a tough balance between pushing yourself to be the best that you can be, but also patting yourself on the back and enjoying it. You know, so that's, that was always sort of the challenge of like pushing and, and striving to be the best that I could be. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off topic a little bit, but since you were talking about it, do you find that after maybe fashion week it's so much it's going so fast do you almost hit a low after it like you're so high do you feel like a little let down almost after it yeah yeah like i find with the fashion shows like the first first guy or girl walks and you know it's like that pig like oh my god it's so beautiful now you might have 40 looks that have to look just as good and the, getting the consistency the quality does it represent the clothes and then the consistency with models that have all varying hair texture? Did they come in late? Um, you know, is it the right hair for that look? It's, there's so many things that go into it. And I find once the designer walks out to take their uh, congratulations, that's when I'm like, oh my God, it's, I, I have that adrenaline. And then I crash afterwards. I, when I'm leaving, I'm like, oh. But, and it's funny, I've done hundreds of shows it's still there, that anxiety. We did a show, what was it, a few weeks ago, was it? When yeah, was it? yeah, uh, September. Yeah, and to, I'm just as nervous. Like, I think when that goes away, it's probably time to quit. But I still have that anxiety, and I think that's what drives it. And, it, and it's not even about, oh, they're a big designer or somebody I like. It's just, it's a responsibility to, their, to what they've built. They've put on this beautiful show, and their hair has to celebrate and make the clothes shine. That's our job. Well, and it's a huge part of it. And there's the thing is, is that I think what people don't realize is that no matter how many shows you do, there's always something new. I always think I've got it. I've got it all dialed. And then there's something new. The electricity goes out almost every time. We get that <laughs> and people are running. But, um, you know, there, there's factors. The model's late. The model cut her hair. That's bizarre. 
or uh, I, I don't know if you've had this, but where all of a sudden a designer puts a hat on and never told you they were going to, right. or, you know, in all of these lovely surprises um, that you have to go through. And it's almost part of the great challenge, but afterwards it is a little bit of a like, Oh, I really got to start exercising this. Yeah. And I think leading shows, there's a few components. Hey, can you come up with a good idea? Can you execute the idea? Can your team execute it? Can you deliver the, the, um, the, the, the concept? And then there's managing the process, managing the designer, having the confidence to push back. Uh, we had a show, remember last year with Tao? Remember I did a hairdo and I was I loved it. And Tao was like, no, nah, I want something simpler. I want the hair down. And I did this. we did this French twist. And I gave you the responsibility, if I remember correctly, that I left and you said, oh, I love it. Let's, con you know, you should convince her. I said, no, I need you to convince it. And I'm going to leave. And this is your task. And you did it. <laughs> sometimes you need to step away. Everyone needs to step away. Cause I, and sometimes I'm wrong. I might be like pushing it and I'm wrong. You know, it may not be the best idea, but I was really like, I think this is going to be beautiful. And it, I, I really believe it was, but somebody you need somebody else just to take a different perspective and sort of go in there. So, but at the same time, on behalf of Tao, I think it was that second look at it in the pictures. This is what's being photographed. Yep. So when you see the photo, this one reads much better than that one. Um, and so you're going to get a little more traction with it. So I think that was really more than changing her mind. It was just pointing out that um, it really was a beautiful um, hairstyle for the runway and for those photos. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's sort of that experience of knowing when to push or to let it go. Because my job ultimately is to make the designer happy. That's it. If the designer's happy and it looks beautiful, it's not about me. And that's, that's our job. And I think when you work with people over the years, we, uh, with Tadashi, I worked, was fortunate to work with for many seasons and Tao now, you build that relationship and that trust and it's really terrific and to see the collections evolve over the years and the hair and it's just it's really cool so you know, yeah so. and I mean I think with Tao I think you and I have worked together oh boy I, I thought it was eight but it might be 10 years now <laughs> and we look so good um so I'm going to go back to like the timeline when you decided to come uh to New York from Australia I mean that is a huge change what made you decide to do that i i was i played australian football sort of at a high level not the top level the one below and um semi-professionally so i i was in my town i loved it but i remember one day thinking oh my god if i'm here in 30 years talking about football god help me so it was one of those moments where i actually went home and spoke to my mom i'm like i think i've got to go overseas so it was really just an awakening that i need to go out and see the world and my plan was to go for one year. And we did that. That was a big thing in Australia where we do a sabbatical and we'd travel. And, um, you know, at that time, you, you know, the thought was you probably go overseas once in your life. It's so far away. It's expensive. And you'll have those memories forever. Uh, times have changed. And we, you know, obviously the world is much smaller anyway. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, backpack around the world. And I went to play football in Canada. And uh, then I came to New York and I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is, I've, it's time to get serious. So I went to Bumble and Bumble. I'm fortunate to get a job sweeping floors uh, and, uh, you know, got my work papers. And then uh, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. And I didn't know. I just, I, I was always pretty adventurous. So I'd take a chance, but I didn't know what it meant. And I was like, you know, and I thought if I get fired, I, I was, 
if you went, my plan was I had $2,000 left. And if I went to Sassoon's for a training, that was $1,000 a week. So that's two weeks of education. And my, I thought if I can last four weeks at Bumble, I've doubled my investment of education. So my plan was to try not to get fired within the first four weeks. I barely yeah. hung on. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you were young, but that does show that, that you really have to work your way up. Nobody's just jumping into it. And that was after all those years at uh, Rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I say this to our junior staff now, like, let's say you are the best haircutter in the world, best whatever. It, it's incremental. That it, it, it takes time. Like, it's not like there's somebody runs around and says, best hairdresser down the road. It takes time. You get a following. You build, you build your clients. Is that, um, the Tipping Point, that great marketing book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, just about in clusters. So somebody's, somebody researches it. They tell 10, 9 friends. They come. You start to build these networks of clients. So I think it's a fortunate thing is that it takes time, you know, because a lot of the kids today come in and they can do hair really well, like fantastic. But it takes time to build these networks and, and for people to have trust. And it, so that process, I think that process is really important. And even coming to New York, it's about learning the language of New York. Yes, you can cut a beautiful bulb or whatever, but do you understand the language of fashion? Do you understand how to communicate with a designer or an agency or a model or a, an, a client who's in your chair, who's a mum who just wants to reinvent themselves? So that process is important and everybody, intellect, most people intellectualize success and identify with it. But I think the commitment to that sort of incremental path is critical. And that's, I think a lot of time, I'm not the most talented hairdresser, but um, oh. I, just work, I just work hard at it. And uh, you know, over time you build your base, you know? Rodney, we all know you're one of the top hairdressers in the country. Um, you opened a salon in Miami. How, uh, is that still open? And what year did you open that? What made you so that was that was uh, That was in the Gansevoort Hotel, which was very exciting. And I think it was unfortunately in 2008. And we know what happened in 2008. The, the world crashed financially. So I could be wrong on that time, but it was around that time. Anyway, so they eventually shut, which that was the one thing I didn't think about. We did a good job, but I learned a lot from it because We've now opened other locations in, in, in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. We tried to transport New York to Miami and it was a beautiful salon and the staff were fantastic. But I think I've learned that when you go into a new neighborhood, you've got to connect with that neighborhood. You don't just transport it. It's not cookie cutter. And we've done a much better job with our Brooklyn location in, in the design, in the staff that we, um, that we hire. Um, the, the, the creativity that we sort of execute and it needs to represent the neighborhood and then it's authentic. So I, we, we did a good job in Miami, but I think um, I learned a lot of lessons about that. It's not, you know, people are like, oh, you're from New York. And like at the end of the day, people don't care. They want to connect with your brand. They want to connect with the hairdresser and it needs to be an authentic experience that's built inside out. So um, it was a great time down there. And then the, the one hotel, it's given back to the bank, the one hotel, then they had to close it and renovate it. And uh, obviously by then it's, it's hard to staff move on and so forth, but it was a great experience. Oh, well, you know, uh, thinking about Miami and then you have the, the salons in Brooklyn. So you have what, you have four salons now? Yeah. And on that point about Miami, which is interesting, like, you know, that was my first business I had to close. I thought, you know, you know, 
Mother Earth would explode and I was doomed, you know. It, it's okay. It's like a brand is so much more than a location. And so it actually taught me a lot. Like, you know, don't be scared. Don't be scared of failure. And uh, just keep pushing, you know, and take chances, calculated chances. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm much less fearful of our failings, you know. I, even with this pandemic, even preparing for this, it's like, if we have to close one of our locations, then we'll do it, you know, and we'll find a way. We'll reinvent ourselves in a different way. So I think all these, you know, all these lessons in ownership and entrepreneurship, uh, they, they, you know, I wouldn't have felt that way 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been probably emotionally equipped to deal with what we're dealing with now. And, you know, it's, it's a journey, you know? Yeah. Um, and so what things are you putting in place um, with, with the pandemic going on, like how are you trying to pivot and make this work for the salon? Well, yeah, so so we have a big salon. So in fact, I'm in Soho now, and we're, this is our little basement. We have a little studio, photo studio. Upstairs, there's a lot of action going on. We're at 50% capacity, um, social distancing. We we wear masks. I'm, I'm in this room alone, so I don't have a mask on. But upstairs, I have a mask on. I, have, I cut with a shield on. Um, so it's pretty organized. It's very clean. It should have been that clean before this, but um, it's, uh, it's very clean now. I think making sure that the temperature checks, um, we questionnaire whether you've traveled, so forth. So we're doing all the, all the, um, all the things, that, you know, the responsible things. And, and clients are comfortable, you know. It's, it, we've got two shifts now because at the end of the day, it's an expensive business. Our rent is very expensive. So we've now got longer hours and two shifts uh, with an hour overlap where we, we can sort of clean up and people aren't overlapping. And then, um, but it's good. We're coming back. We're at about 50% revenue back at the moment. But um, I believe it's going to come back incrementally. So this week's better than last and, and the clients are excited. It's really We've had a lot of people in New York who have moved out temporarily or permanently to the Hamptons or upstate. And to see people come in, they're a little bit nervous, but then they're excited. So yeah. New York was a little different a couple of months ago. It was a little like, whoa. But the energy's coming back. Um, you can see people, what are they, the, the smiling with their eyes, you know? So um, people are wearing masks, everybody's wearing masks and, and uh, the restaurants are outside and it's, there's some good energy going on. Well, Rodney, uh, we're running through our time and I have oh, wow. questions left. Um, Sorry, oh, I was talking too much. Um, we talked about that. Um, I want to show people real quick what it looks like backstage. And I was trying to grasp, and I think this is a Tadashi show. Look at all of the people. But it's, I mean, it's hard to get through people. It's busy. This is all pre-pandemic. <laughs> pre-pandemic, it is people everywhere. Rodney, do you think it's, once we have the vaccine, um, you, have, you and I worked a show during COVID um, this past September. Do you think it's going to go back to how it was? I think it had to change anyway. I mean, I think there was big shifts over the last few years, even the locations. I mean, especially with New York Fashion Week and even, even designers. I mean, there used to be so many shows. There was so much saturation. And I believe I, what I love... You, you know, when you see a show that has real purpose creatively. So I, I think there's an opportunity to, to reset, take it to the next level um, and have, uh, so I, I think it will go back because 
people love it. People love clothes. We're always going to be inspired by clothing and, and, and purchase it. So there'll always be a, a place for it. But I, I'm hoping that it reinvents itself and it has, you know, a stronger purpose so that the storytelling and it's rather not just having, like there was one stage, it was 300 shows or something crazy and we're bouncing around. So I think, I think it'll come back not bigger necessarily, but I think it'll come back better, I hope. I think you're right. And um, people are already, it's almost like we vote with our money. If this company matches my, my lifestyle and really my beliefs, because everything's online, I can look you up and I can see your lifestyle of your brand, then it's going to match it. Now, I think you've been doing in the past 30 shows during Fashion yeah. Week. I mean, it's a lot. You're doing 30. Um, I think in the future, even if we do fewer, I think people are going to have better ideas. But is there anything that we need to put in place coming from a, a production person? Is there anything that you need changed for your space coming in the future? In terms of execution? Yeah, I, I think our biggest challenge is having the time to execute quality hair. Because what ends up happening is you get your three hours and, and your team and Judy and your team are fantastic and so organized and but even the rehearsals and so it's it's having the time even before like even the hair test having quality time to really dig deep about what the best look is and then having the time to execute it on the day because what we run into sometimes we know we get three hours well we don't really because you get in you set up now you're at two hours and 40 minutes left and then a, a couple of girls come late or more and then you, so you start creating looks that you know that can be executed rather than creating a look that is ultimately the ideal desired look. But you start going, well, is that possible? And, and our job is to make sure no matter what happens, that the show starts kind of on time and it looks good. So it would be great to have more time. And, and again, I think a part of that is having less shows and more quality with everything that we do. So we're not mm -hmm. bouncing around. Yeah, the official venues really do push the time on us. Um, very hard. You add in um, the, the electricity blowing and what have you. But I have to say of, of a lot of producers, Judy Rice, she's pretty much on time. I always feel bad when we're pulling the models for rehearsal. It's like, they're coming back, I promise. <laughs> well, but the great thing with Judy is that she's very consistent. And I, I always, with my team, I tell them who's producing the show and what everyone has wow. their, own, their own way. So we know with Judy, you got to be on time. Rehearsal starts on time. She'll always give you the models back, you know? So, so you know that with some, they'll say they will and then they won't. So having that consistency and understanding, and that's fine. Everyone has their own way of working and it makes it much easier. I think the other thing too, I think it's become so big in marketing that, you know, everything's, you know, the, the, and I get it, you know, and we, it's been a huge value for us, but also having, you know, having shows that are, by hairdressers who are really great at what they do and not just because somebody can sponsor it, you know? And I think that's a, one of the unfortunate, the true great editorial hairdressers, and there's so many Peter Grays and uh, Guidos and all these brilliant hairdressers that they're doing, they're chosen because they're the best, not just because someone was able to sponsor it. And that's been something that um, has taken, it made a big shift in our industry from a hairdressing perspective, you know? Yeah, so there, there's a few changes. I know that on my end, I'm hoping to give you more time so that I've seen some of your videos and I'll put some up on, on the uh, YouTube channel uh, behind Fashion with Mary Spicer, but you do these wonderful backstage discussions about the hair, how you worked with 
uh, the designer and, and going over it. And I just love it. So that is my goal is to give you more time and a nice space, maybe a nice backdrop to, to do all of this. Awesome. That's well, great. thank you so much for taking the time to be on Behind Fashion with me, Rodney. I truly appreciate it. I know you're busy and this is just amazing. This went fast. I'm like, oh my God, that was fun. So thank you. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in January, mug or no mug, but uh, yeah. I'm going to give you a beautiful haircut. And, and uh, the good thing is now I'm going to go upstairs and do some more clients, which is really cool. You know? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mary. Bye. Bye. And thank you all so very much for coming on Behind Fashion with me. Um, with me and my guest, Rodney Cutler. Um, you can follow Rodney and Cutler Salons on Facebook um, at Cutler Salons, C-U-T-L-E-R-S-A-L-O-N-S. -S. Uh, Twitter at Cutler Salon, Instagram at Cutler Salon, and their website, should you want to get your hair done, www.cutlersalon.com. Next week, I'm going to bring a surprise guest on for Behind Fashion. Don't miss it. See you Wednesday, October 14th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. All the best to you and yours.